Welcome to episode number two of It's In Here Somewhere. I should start off today's episode simply by saying thank you for listening and being a part of our podcast. I've been amazed at the response that we've received from our preview episode in episode number one last week. Not just that so many of you have listened, honestly, it's amazing that anybody kept listening, but that so many of you have called and texted and messaged to let us know that the podcast has been a help and a blessing to you. If you have enjoyed the podcast, we would love to hear from you. In fact, we'd love for you to be a part of our podcast. And there are a couple ways that you can do that. The next few episodes that we'll be putting out, we'll be addressing some of the most common questions that we get about the Bible. So if you have a question about the Bible, or maybe you have a topic that you would like to see covered in a podcast episode, let us know. Send us a message. You can find all of the links to our social media in the description of this episode. Leave us a message there, and we'll see if we can get your question answered on the podcast. And finally, if you've enjoyed the podcast, leave us a rating and a review. That'll help us to be more visible to others who haven't heard the podcast yet, and we would love to be a blessing to them as well. Now, with all that out of the way, let's go ahead and jump right into the topic for today. Last week, we talked about how a Christian is supposed to deal with loss. We looked at the story of Job and how he dealt with the difficulty that God brought in his life, the understanding that he was able to come to, all that he faced. And if you haven't had a chance to hear that podcast, I highly encourage you to go back and to take a listen at episode number one. This week, we're going to look at the same story, but from a little bit different angle. Maybe you're not the one who's going through this difficulty right now. Maybe you're not experiencing this trauma. Maybe you're not experiencing this loss right now, but you know somebody who is. How do you help that person? How, as a Christian, are you to help others who are going through difficult times? As we mentioned in last week's episode, Job does have some who come and try to comfort him and try to give him encouragement during this time. Now, if you know anything about the story of Job, you know that these men are miserable comforters. They are terrible at their job. So what we'll mainly look at in today's episode is not how to be a good comforter, not how to give good advice, but how to be a terrible comforter, how to give terrible advice. So let's go ahead and jump into it. We see after seven days, and let's get this straight, this is about the only good thing that his friends do. For seven days, his friends come and they sit on the ground with him. Remember, they saw him afar off and they didn't even recognize that it was him. Job had changed so dramatically. He's sitting on an ash heap, scraping his boils off of his skin. And for seven days, they sit there in silence with him. And if we're honest, it's about the only good thing that they do throughout the rest of this book. It's important to remember that sometimes people just need you to be there. They don't need advice. They don't need counsel. They just need someone to be there for them. And anyone can do that. Any one of us listening to this can be there for someone else. And in fact, that's a commitment that we should make ahead of time. That those that we call our friends, those that we feel God has placed in our lives for us to be a blessing to them, that no matter what happens, no matter what they go through, we will be there for them when they need us. And sometimes it's just our presence that they need. But at the end of seven days, we see the first of these friends speaks up. Eliphaz begins his two chapters of talking with Job with two back-to-back questions. And I think it's important to see that nothing happens between these two questions. He starts chapter number four with a question that says this, 
if we essay to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? In other words, he says, Job, if we want to talk to you, if we want to help you right now, if we want to have a conversation with you, would that upset you? Are you in the place where you can receive instruction? Are you in the place where you can have a conversation? We've been silent for seven days. Can we talk now? And then without hesitation, Job does not answer. Nothing else happens. The back-to-back questions. Job, is it okay if I say something? And then in the same verse, he says, but who can withhold himself from speaking? He says, Job, is it okay if I say something? Ah, doesn't matter. I can't hold this back. And that's mistake number one that we see from Eliphaz. Sometimes people are not ready to hear advice and counsel. We'll see later on in these chapters, Eliphaz actually says a couple of good things. He says some things that are right, but Job is not in the place to receive them. We've all heard that old saying, unsought advice is seldom heeded and often resented. Job is not in the place where he's ready to hear anything yet. And because his advice was not sought, because Job did not come out and ask for Eliphaz's opinion, Job is not in the place to receive his wisdom and his instruction. Eliphaz will make a lot of mistakes, but there are some valid points that he will make at the end of his argument. But when we see Job respond, he does not acknowledge one of those good points. Instead, he's so hung up on the fact that Eliphaz is inserting himself into this chaos that Job finds himself in, that he can't appreciate some of the wisdom that Eliphaz is bringing. And we have to acknowledge that, that even if we know what's good in a situation, if we feel like we have the wisdom to help somebody out, they may not be in a place that they are ready to receive what we have to say. And it's better for us to keep that to ourselves until they are ready than for us to speak our mind and that wisdom be wasted. And we see that happen at the beginning of chapter number four. And really, if you take a look at chapter number four, what will become abundantly clear to you is that Eliphaz's motives are wrong. He is not there to help Job. If he was truly there to help Job, he would have listened to what Job had to say. If he truly cared about Job, he would have been sensitive to what Job was going through. And we'll show the insensitivity here in just a minute. But we always have to keep that in mind. If we're going out to help someone, our motive has to be pure. And it is a temptation at times to go out of our way to help somebody else, but we do it for ourselves. We do it for attention. We do it to make ourselves feel better. We do it to make ourselves feel important. But understanding that if we are truly going to help someone, our motive has to be right. If not, we'll end up just like Eliphaz, kind of running over Job, being insensitive to the things that he's going through. In fact, at one point in his discourse to Job, Eliphaz uses an example. He talks about a foolish person and what a foolish person will do. And he says the consequence of a foolish person is that their children will be crushed at the gate. Now, how insensitive is it to say something like that to a man whose children very literally were just crushed to death? seven days prior. That is the kind of thing that happens when we do not have the best interest of this person at heart. And instead, our motivations are personal. They're prideful. It's so that we can gain the glory. We can feel better so that we feel like we've done something great for somebody else. That's where Eliphaz and these men found themselves. Another thing that we see Eliphaz begin to do is he uses this phrase several times. He says, even as I have seen. It's a temptation sometimes for us to interpret what other people are going through through the lens of what we've experienced ourselves. Understand, others' experience are different than yours. They're different than mine. I don't understand everything that's going on in your life, nor do you understand everything that's going on in someone else's life. And when we begin to interpret the world by what we have experienced, it's a dangerous place for us to go. 
because God has a different journey and a different place and a different experience for each and every one of us. And sometimes it's not our perspective that we're trying to gain. We're trying to gain the perspective of God in this situation. Kind of along that same line, you see Eliphaz again begin to talk about what I would do. And he tells Job, he said, well, what I would do is I would go to God and I'd bow myself and I would ask for forgiveness and I would do all these things. And the number of times that he uses that expression and he talks about what he would do, the focus of Eliphaz is on himself. He says, here's what I would do. Here's the way that I would approach this situation. Now, Eliphaz talks about some great things. He gets to the end of that second chapter, and he talks about how God is going to deliver Job, how God is going to bring him back to wealth, back to riches. He's going to grant him his family. He's going to allow him to live out his life in its fullness and in its prosperity. That's exactly what God would eventually do with Job's life. But Job was far from hearing that. And we'll see that when Job begins to answer in chapter number 6. Eliphaz goes on his discourse for two chapters. He begins to almost berate Job, saying, There has to be something wrong with you. You must have done something wrong, and God is angry at you, and God is judging you for what you've done. And Job's response is incredibly telling. Because in verse number one in chapter six, here's what Job says. He said, Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed. Job is saying, I wish somebody would understand what I'm going through. And that is what Eliphaz missed. Eliphaz made no attempt to understand what Job was feeling. Instead, he simply tried to find a solution. He tried to find a reason behind it. And Job will address that again in just a moment. But he says, I wish that somebody would understand what I'm going through. And many times, like we talked about before, we need to be there for someone who's going through a difficulty. But also, we need to understand what it is they're going through. We can help them to cope with this situation. We can help them to make it through this difficult time in their life if we will simply take the time to understand what it is they're going through. We may have never been there before. We may have never experienced something as difficult as what they're experiencing right now. But I will take the time to begin to listen and to understand what it is you're going through. And Job says, I don't feel like anybody understands what I'm experiencing. Again, just like in chapter number three, Job asks God several times to take his life. He says, God, you're eventually going to do this. He said, in the end, why are we prolonging the inevitable? You're going to take my life. You're going to destroy my life. Why don't you just do it right now? Then he begins to turn to his friends. Job does. And he says, God, I want you to understand. And I'm saying this in the presence of everyone around me. My brethren... Those that have called themselves my friends, they have dealt with me deceitfully. He describes them like the snow. He said, as soon as that heat begins to come, as soon as things begin to heat up, as soon as the difficulty comes, they're gone and they're nowhere to be found. He said, that is the type of friends that I have around me. And then Job makes what I believe is just an amazing observation. He says this, to him that is afflicted, pity should be showed from his friend. In other words, if someone is in a situation like I am, they're in a difficulty, they've faced this horrific situation, you would think that their friends would show them pity, that the friends would rush to their aid to do their best to support their friend and to bring him through this difficult time. But he goes to the second half of the verse and he says this, but he forsaketh the fear of the Almighty. Chapter number one told us one of the characteristics we knew about Job is that he feared God. He had a respect for God. 
He had a firm belief that God controlled everything. And here we see Job uses that same idea against his friends. He said, those of you who should have come to my aid, who should have come to me to show me pity and to help me through this difficult time, he said, you have lost the fear of the Almighty. You do not believe that God is in control of everything. And as he continues in this chapter to talk about his friends, he comes to the realization that his friends need this trial to be brought on by sin. He said, you're afraid because if my trial is brought on by sin, then you can escape it. Because if all the calamity that happened to me only came my way because I lived a sinful life and I disobeyed God, then all you need to do is to avoid the sin that I fell into and everything's going to be fine in your life. And Job says it scares you to death that all of this happened to me even though I followed everything God that told me to do. He said that makes you afraid. And because of that, you need to pin some sin on me. You need to show the world that this has only come on me. I've only faced this hardship because I've sinned. Because you yourself are afraid. And Job finishes up the chapter. In chapter number 6, he said, If I'm wrong, I want you to teach me. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid for you to show me the truth. He said, but I want you to show me where I'm wrong. And he again questions their motivation. He says at the end of chapter number 6, he says this, Ye overwhelm the fatherless, and ye dig a pit for your friend. Job questions their motivation. He said, why are you here? Are you here to help me, or are you here to make yourself feel better? And that should always be a consuming thought in our minds when we go to help and to lift up those around us who are going through these difficult times. The Bible teaches us, and it instructs us, Look at Isaiah 61 when the Bible teaches us, The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek and hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. God commands us in the New Testament as we look at Galatians when he says, Bear ye one another's burden. It is our job, our responsibility to seek out those who are going through difficulty and to encourage them and to help them and to bear their burden, to take that weight on ourselves. It's our responsibility to get under that weight, find the weight, the burden that they bear, and to help lift that burden off of them. That's our responsibility as a Christian. That is what God has called us to do. That is why he has filled us with his spirit to go out and to encourage those who are around us. That's our mission, that's our goal, that's what we're going for. And I hope that you go with this in mind, to be an encouragement, to be a help, to uplift those who are around you. They might just need you to sit there with them. They might need you to understand their grief. They might need somebody to talk to. And eventually, they may be ready for that wisdom, that guidance, and that comfort that you can provide for them. I hope that we learn from Job's friends to be an encouragement in the right way at the right time that God has provided for us.